You're listening to the Oodles of Marketing podcast, where two brothers, not brothers, wage war, debate peacefully, against the pitfalls of digital marketing. That part is accurate. Here are your hosts, Mark and Ryan Hughes. Welcome back to another episode of Oodles of Marketing. Today, we have Oodles very own VP of Creative and Marketing, Josh Thompson. Josh has worked with with us for quite a while, uh, and we wanted to invite him on to talk about creativity and how you can train yourself to think creatively, recharge the juices, and how Josh and his team have done that for uh, throughout his his twenty plus year career as a creative director. Welcome, Josh. Oh, thanks, man. When you say twenty plus years, you make me sound old. Well, because <laughs> you are old. I, I know. I know. At least you said twenty plus. That's that. Balances it out a little bit there, I guess. <laughs> well, you never you never give away the actual age, right? Right. No, keep you that, don't. Keep that secret. You just yeah, well, thanks for having today, me, guys. Right? I'm, I'm, I'm excited. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, 29 today. Yep. With an old 29, <laughs> but yeah. Old soul. Old 29. Yep. Cool. But so well, yeah, so today we're going to talk about... Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Today we're going to talk about creativity and how you can recharge the batteries, how you get creative juices flowing, how you do organization, and how you can maintain track of all that, all, all that kind of good stuff. But before we get to any of that kind of stuff, my most important question of the day is, what is it like to be a colorblind creative director? <laughs> well, I'm not the only one. Uh, there, there are, believe it or not, in the world of design and, and, and marketing, there are a lot of colorblind designers out there. Um, I mean, statistically speaking, it's like something like, I forget, 15, 20% of the male population is colorblind. So there's a pretty good chance, depending on the size of your organization, you've got at least one. When when I ran my own uh, agency before coming and working with you guys, uh, of the four of us that were there, three of us were colorblind. <laughs> so it made for, made for some fun times occasionally, but, you know, you get by. You, you start to, to understand like color differently. People? Yes, yes, there was... Yeah. One time, uh, my wife did had to confirm or, or question why the Santa hat I had drawn for an illustration was colored like a pumpkin. I'm like, well, I thought it was a warm <laughs> red. She's like, it's warm, all right. Warm enough to be orange. Like, oh, okay. Well, tweak that a little bit. So, but yeah, it's fun. <laughs> No, I didn't know the moment. stats were that high. 15, 20% of, a, of adult males. That's, um, I think so. Something around, that's pretty there. interesting. Maybe a little, yeah. maybe a little lower. I might that's be padding a little bit, but but still, yeah. Might be a but, little confirmation bias in there. Might be a little bit smidge. <laughs> just a smidge. <laughs> so Josh is famous at around Oodle not just for his colorblind creative directorness um, and just overall awesomeness, but also his sign of affection is giving the middle finger. So if Josh mm-hmm. gives us a middle finger mid chat, that is uh, just par for the course. It's that's what he does. I mean, we're we're, we're only action. seconds into this, and I've already fought it. Several times, so just trying to maintain. <laughs> if we do it, low right. off this is an camera, explicit podcast. See, off camera, can't see it there. So we'll see. <laughs> try to so, try to be good. So, Josh, you already behavior. talked a little. <laughs> you already talked a little bit about um, your background, but what, let's let's dive a little deeper into that. So, what's what's your what's your tenure? Twenty years plus in the business. So where, where'd you start? How'd you end up here? What'd you do in between? Yeah, sure, sure. Yeah, so like we said, we'll say we'll say twenty plus. Well, pushing more than twenty plus, but um, so yeah, I started. Uh, you know, after college, I was actually in-house design um, for uh, Cincinnati Millicron, uh, and then that the that their internal design group broke off, became its own little agency. I was there for a while, a couple years. 
uh, ready to make a switch. I've been getting much more involved in, in web design and development and animation sort of with that career in the early days of still using tables and, and flash was just catching on so for all you young kids out there. Don't know what any of that stuff is. It was fun and awesome. And it was cool back then. Uh, <laughs> so went from there. Was it, though? it was, it was, and it will always be cool. You know how many cool intros I made that people skipped? It's fantastic. (laughs) I I was happy the day that Apple put their foot down and was like, no more Flash. I mean, don't get me wrong. I get it. God. You you open a a Flash web page and you just, even worse than certain Google-owned browsers, you just watch the the memory just tick up (laughs) for time. Like, hmm, I get it. Resource leaks, whatever. Whatever. Then there fun. were those like real minor security holes that you could just take control of somebody's computer. No big deal. That never. That never. Anything came of that. You're you're silly. <laughs> <laughs> so from there, from from the early agency side, I went and actually went and worked for an e-learning organization, developing web-based training courses. So basically creating online training for people who had probably never used a computer before. So really early ways of studying UX and, and, and that kind of thing. And uh, from there, I got tired of making money for the man. wanted to make money for myself. So I, I went freelance and, and lived on the streets. No, not really. But, but <laughs> did freelance for six, seven years. Uh, worked with a buddy of mine, started an agency. Uh, we ran that for about nine or ten years. Uh, then we hit the point where like, we don't want to run our own business anymore. <laughs> I'm like, cool. And I met you guys and, and, and you guys said, we need a creative director. I'm like, cool, let's do it. So I came and worked for you guys. And, and, uh, you know, I, I have to tell you about my, 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 my sabbatical. I worked for Oodle uh-huh. for about four years and then decided I needed to do something good with with my my skills so i i went and worked for the cure starts now for two years uh helping try to cure pediatric brain cancer which was the only reason mark couldn't be mad at me for leaving because how can you compete it is it is tough to be mad true story tough to argue that one but but i miss these guys so much that i i I came back um and, and here i have another gosh Two, two years, three, two, almost three, yeah, two, three, something like that. Oh. Yeah, something like that. Time holds no and meaning we still, anymore. And we still do stuff with Cure Starts now, so we still okay. get to do a little bit of that. Yep, yep. We award winning fun stuff with them right that. now. Some fun creative stuff with them right now. See how I dropped the the podcast. I see what there. you did there. there Easter egg. I see what you did. So, so Josh, the 20 plus years experience and, and the, the long resume that he just went through was almost exclusively in digital marketing too, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's kind of unique. In fact, when, when I talk to people and, you know, my resume comes up and says 20 plus years experience, people are like, how old are you? Like, <laughs> I don't look like I'm 70, right? So 20 years experience in one field is, is, is a lot. I was like, well, I built my first website in 1999 and didn't really go away from the space. And your career is, is very similar. You've been in this, a similar space, different places, but yeah. similar space your whole career. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, digital, when my, my first job right out of college was, I mean, my first project was a website, but this was the, the web wasn't very big. 
<laughs> so it was, it was one of my first pieces. And then, like I said, from there, uh, some first things, even as I started getting a freelance and working with other agencies here in town, uh, was doing banner ads and banner ads back before IEB had stepped in and had consistent specs across the board. So you did custom sets for uh, AOL, Yahoo, um, MSN and I forget what like you did four different sets of every ad because each one had their mm. their own specs of frame rates and sizes and stuff and then God God bless them at some point the IAB said that's dumb let's make a standard <laughs> for everything and not do that so um, so yeah I've been around since even really the early days that of that era yeah. I mean, it was, I feel like it was a short window, uh, I, I mean, of, of that specific of, of variations and stuff. Because we went from, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not date myself here, but <laughs> 2002, <laughs> maybe 2008 <laughs> or nine before they started getting a little, little more consistent there. So it was in the breadth of time. It was kind of a narrow window, but, but yeah, so that and seeing email marketing take off and seeing the the cool like trade show here's my little business card size cd-rom or you guys probably don't even back in the day too young to I, know do, that one. I do remember those the little <laughs> oh little yeah business card CDs the little business that, card cds yeah. I, I developed yeah, had the... i developed interactive things for those and then you know i i, I joke with people to to really show my age when i designers are like oh man you just, just can't fit enough on on the the screen on this and like the first websites I designed target a 640 by 480 monitor. That was mm-hmm. the screen size, which is mm-hmm. half the size no or more of that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was a desktop. So I've seen it all, man. Not even half the size of a, so, an iPhone. Yeah, I remember hi- iPhones are higher, well, higher pixel well, density too. Yes, yes. Right. More like the top fourth of an iPhone. <laughs> Yeah. So an, an interesting thing to look back on is creative trends over the lifespan of your career, right? So in uh, when I started doing web design and web design and web work, it was Comic Sans and animated GIFs everywhere, right? Like that's that was the first era, right? And then you moved I'm into come back. <laughs> <laughs> and then you moved into like the uh everything is shiny type of era right where everything looked like the, it was the, beveled and embossed the the apple aqueous phase the the gel buttons and yeah. when the yep, the gel yeah, buttons when, when those came yep. out. and then then you moved into like the skeuomorphic era where everything had to look real right if it was mm-hmm. if it was a notepad it had to it had to actually look like a real notepad right otherwise mm-hmm. how are you going to know it's a notepad right. um and then you went into the everything is flat era which is sort of where we're at today, but uh-huh. more material now than just straight up flat. And now we're yeah. almost entering into like a, uh, I saw a video recently about like companies going through the debranding phase where they've got this strong, powerful brand that they're almost muting purposely so that they yeah. could adapt it into other flat design elements. So it's just, that's uh-huh. an interesting kind of history when you think about the, the history of how creative has evolved and design trends have evolved. Yeah, the design has, I mean, it's, there, there's always been an evolution. There's always things that stand out. There's always, you know, there's classic stuff to look back on. You know, um, I'm going to embarrass myself because I can't remember some of the people's names, but you've got classic logo stuff that just like, it still holds up today. It was good then, it's good now. 
Um, and and Web is still like what, what? It's like Coca Cola. Coca Cola hasn't changed their logo in years, and arguably shouldn't. Shouldn't. They did the new Coke thing. Pretty sure that was all just to make the new Coke. They did the Coke new logo, new flavor, just to make everybody go, this is terrible. We want old Coke. It was just a whole, <laughs> it was a whole marketing ploy. I was a hoax. Convinced it was all done specifically for that. Um, but yeah, some, some of these things, you know, you don't need to rebrand or you've got other, you've got other brands that are going back. Like Burger King is going back from how they've kind of progressed to this, the fun burger over a while. They've gone back to a, a variation on their their old 70s logo, uh, which, honestly, 70s logos were really good. That's when a lot of, <laughs> 60s, 70s, when a lot of good designers were out making good logos. Um, but the interesting thing with, with, with trends like that, you know, everything, they say everything goes in cycles. There's some cycles, I hope. Don't come around. Parachute pants. I do actually miss those from the 80s. But, uh, you know, web is still young like it's it's weird because you can have guys that like some of some other agencies i followed like purely interactive web web companies that i have followed for years were started by guys that when they were 17 in 2000 like right they're only barely pushing 40 and they're old guys in the industry you know so a lot of the the i think the transition that's happened on web is people trying to find what actually works online and it started with like let's take traditional design and put it online and we started to realize that doesn't work we've tried various iterations you know brochure where the skewmorphic you know where you're like well let's i would lay a brochure out to have this i'll build a website like that sometimes it works you know depending on how you implement it but the material Mm -hmm. design you've gotten to these days i think is just that natural progression of okay Let's support the technology. How can we render stuff without always having to use images? Are there things here? Can we create st- standards <laughs> or best practice things that people like, you know, nowadays, for the most part, people know if you click the logo on a website, it'll take you to the homepage, you know. Yep. 20 years ago, I mean, I think- you had a home button. <laughs> you didn't know. <laughs> you used to have to say click here. and Click yeah, here all, to do a thing. I think the interesting thing is too, like if, if you remember back, back then, right, way back then, eight hundred by six hundred was that was your viewport. That's what you were designing to. And as we think about, or as I think about, you know, digital marketing in in total, right, not just web, but it. The interesting thing is it continues to evolve. Yeah. So while digital and web are both still really young in the grand scheme of things. The reset button keeps getting hit. Get, keeps getting hit, right? Yeah. It, so, like the idea of figuring out what works is really challenging because once you start to figure it out, well, then a new product comes out, or a new offering, or a new way to interact comes out, and we hit the reset button, and we have to start that over again. Oh yeah, you I mean like uh, responsive responsive design came about because like monitors were growing so big so exponentially and everyone's mm-hmm. like oh how do we how do we account for these super huge monitors and then apple said we made a we made a watch you right. <laughs> <Thank> you, <for laughs> you can't browse the internet on the watch i know but, but you're still there's a user interface but they did make like, the phone the phone was a big one so now right. 
you know, we used to design for these big screens where you can see stuff and it's all laid out nicely. And then we're like, cool, stick that in here. <laughs> and then you hit the, you hit the and constant, then, you know, like the, the fold of like, we want it above the fold. Like, man, phones got rid of folds. <laughs> There's one. And then never existed in the first place. The, the myth of the page fold we know that. is like the most studied and proven thing that drives me absolutely batshit crazy because everybody like everybody looks at it and they're like what is the first thing you do when you get anything you scroll you scroll somewhere it's like like one of the best ads we're talking creative i think this is a play on that is it was it was an ad for heinz ketchup and it was a picture of a french fry with ketchup on it and the headline says your first bite of hamburger yeah, if you get hamburger fr- no one just picks up their burger first. You always grab a fry first. What's the first thing you do to a website? You scroll down. You're not waiting to see what you're not yeah. reading the first thing. There. You're, you're, you're digging in. You're going. Like who the hell's sitting there watching the rotator? Yeah, just ambitiously waiting <laughs> for it to show the yeah, next. I'm waiting thing. for something exciting on the rotator. On the fourth slide in, that's where the money is, right there. Yeah, that's usually <laughs> usually what they save. Yeah. You know, what's funny is thinking about creative and how it translates to other interactive places, all streaming services have the rotator, right? So Mm -hmm. we, we have data that says it doesn't work, at least not as effectively as people believe it does on web. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there will be equivalent data at some point on streaming platforms. So here's the here's the interesting thing. Here's my theory, at least, on that. Because there are a couple other places I see rotators, and they do work. They don't work if you if you want somebody to see it for sure, right? It's a good mm-hmm. it's a good way to give options to mm-hmm. take like you know like if you look at Twitch at the top of their thing, they have a rotator, mm-hmm. and they kind of show you a preview of the two on each side. But it's options, right? These are mm-hmm. these are suggestions. We're just trying to lead you somewhere where they don't work specifically is like, I want, I want customers to read points A, B, C, and D on this page. So I'm going to put A, B, C, and D above the page fold, but in a rotator. So that way you have to wait for, for the other ones to come through. By the time B comes across the screen, I'm probably down in below the page fold. You're better off just to stack those things. So I can just scroll down and read them Mm -hmm. in line. Yeah. But if you have multiple options or something that whether I see it or not is kind of irrelevant, doesn't really matter. It can work. Uh, yeah, to your point, like yeah, the with especially streaming services, it's about discoverability. It's like the only stuff that I see in rotators now. Granted, I have a very old generation of an Apple TV. I was joking about that today. It's it's losing apps every day. I'm like, oh, apparently that's not supported anymore. <laughs> <laughs> but you go in and it's still showing like, hey, here's here's some new releases. You're like, oh. I didn't know that. Okay, cool. You know, it's not necessarily a meant to like, here's your favorite stuff because I can't find my favorites anyway because my kids have bogarted my Netflix accounts and ruined it for me. So, but yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. Yeah, some of those things, you know, those trends, they come and go. There's ebb and flows. And and the funny thing is how hard it is to lose certain things like the rotator, like the page phone when there is data that supports like no one's doing it. No one's interacting with it. Move along. So what, the next thing. Continuing down that path, like what what are some of those things that 
that are going on within the digital world right now. Uh, so we've talked about rotators being a thing. What what are other things, whether it's in web or in you know banner ad design or landing pages or anything else from a creative perspective that that people should be mindful of? These are things to watch out for. Oh Lord! Oh, wait, I'm probably on the spot. Okay, what else is going on these days? <laughs> <laughs> Well, we already of, called out one, the, the logo yep. one, right? The logo, yeah. It's a more user logo. experience, but mm-hmm. yeah, but and I would say user experience is really where it, it's it's between user experience and and engagement and and how those balance. So you know, is a landing page all someone needs? What does someone need to convert on that landing page? You know, there's there's an autoplay video, the right thing to do maybe <laughs> is it is having one that you have to sound almost always no almost always no but if it's something that you can engage with and start that or start you know so there are those things it's mm-hmm. like how do you, you know who are you reaching what are you trying to present to them um and th- there's different ways to do that you know for some places it is you know that's why there's our multiple formats that's why google likes to you search and it shows images, videos, and text results for things that you search for because people engage differently. Um, so it's it's understanding who you're marketing to and who you're selling to and like what's gonna be what's gonna resonate with them. So, you know, creating video content can support a wide range of things. Uh, you know, landing pages that have a purpose. I'm going to focus because <laughs> lots of times people you send to a landing page, cool. What do you want them to do from here? Oh, right. Like has to understand what that next step is. There has to be a clue that like, you're not just fill out this form and submit. Sub- submit what? What What am I getting out of this? What's my give and take here? Um, so I think that's a, that, that's a lot of it. That's, it's, as stuff is skewed, it's tr- it started to skew towards, or at least the people that are doing it right, are skewing away from the self-serving world of interactive marketing and digital marketing and more into the uh, more customer centric, like what are the needs that they have? Yeah. I mean, you, we just kind of went through the, we called them creative trends, but they're really more like visual creative trends, right? Mm -hmm. With comic sans and everything shiny and then skeuomorphic and flat and all that kind of stuff. And I think to your point, there's creative is what drives interaction, which ultimately is, is what creates the customer experience. And we've gone through trends with that as well, right? So we went through a very sales-driven trend in the two, early 2000s, let's say, where mm-hmm. it was all about the company, the company, the company, the company, right? And then we went through the, the inbound era of the 2010 to call it 2015, 2017, mm-hmm. which is kind of had the right idea, but it was all contact form-driven, right? It was all gated content, um, creating really cool stuff, but always gated. And now we've mm-hmm. gone through this trend and evolution of, well, if your content is really that good, your 70% of a B2B customer buying journey, buyer journey is done before they ever contact you. If you have so much information freely available on the internet, why would they get, why would they get your gated piece of content if they could find the same information for free elsewhere? And so you've gone through this, this other evolution of be as helpful as humanly possible to create a brand voice of, of authority for yourself by being helpful and, inter- and people will interact with that as, yeah. as a way to, to get a payoff from it. Yeah, and it, it, it touches on e- even stuff that you guys did in your, your, your last podcast. You know, you're talking about authenticity in the workplace, but you know, Ryan, I know you brought up 
Wendy's authenticity. There's brand authenticity too. You know, would I have thought Wendy's tone of voice was what they were on Twitter? No, but they took it and they owned it and and they roll with it and they have worked done incredible. I love when I because I don't follow them, but I love when I see the like. Here's the best tweets from Wendy's over the past year, and you're like, oh my god, you guys, how did you do that? But <laughs> but like well, the, that's the other thing. It's 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 authenticity. If you are that good. People will buy it. You know, it's it's they're buying into that. Uh, I, I pulled up a quote earlier. We we have it in our brand development deck that we have here. Uh, if anyone wants to hire us to do brand development, uh, it's it's a quote from Simon Sinek, um, and he talks about you know people don't buy what you do, they buy why you do it, and that's where the authenticity comes in. Mm-hmm. It's why brands like Patagonia, it's why brands like REI, REI says, you know what, we're done Black Fridays. This is stupid. We're going to let people be people, have their lives. That that makes people want to shop there. Patagonia started from um, the guy who started building uh, rock climbing gear uh, that he was making himself that his friends bought. He started selling it. Went back to climb years later, saw that it was destroying the rock faces, stopped selling his product, created a new one that didn't destroy the rocks. People started buying his products again. So it's it's... it's selling an idea not necessarily the product and people will latch on to that again it talks to the authenticity and then creativity comes into play there too because how do you get that out there um it's not just visual it's how you talk about it how you speak about it you know words people forget sometimes that when they think creative it's like what does this look like and design background I tend to default there too, but you know, before I became a designer, I was going to become a writer. Um, so I still, you still skew that. And, and, and that's the other thing is like words are powerful and the way you phrase stuff can influence a person. You know, it's the, it's why you say home for sale, not house for sale. Would you rather live in a home or a house? You know, um, there's a connotation to that, um, that, is and to your point, some of the <laughs> some of the greatest creative directors in the world, or creative directors of all time, have been writers, not designers. So the ones that come up with amazing taglines and amazing campaign, um, you know, campaign anchors that mm-hmm. that ground all future creative work that go around all of that. So talk talk a little bit about that. How does what's the difference between brand brand equity? Creative strategy and thinking, creative execution—all these these phrases that we throw around, but they work together, but they're different. Right, right. So, all right, try to pick these apart. So, 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 brand is who you are. You know, that's the at your core. It's it's who you are, or what I like to say, it's it's who people think you are. Because you can say that your brand is this, and we're that, and we're whatever. But the customers, the consumers are really going to say like, no, you're this. Yeah. <laughs> you might think you're cool. You're not as cool as you think you are. So brand is some is largely like, what do you put out there in, in, in the world? How do you show your face as a company, as an organization, uh, whether that's visual, whether that's messaging, whether that's uh, PR type things? Like, are, are you doing good things? Are you raising money for groups? You know, it's, it's building that, that story. Um, I think of all the things you just listed off. Brand strategy, <laughs> strategy is, is largely how do you get that out there? What is the what is the core message we, we want to put out there? You know, it's the is it the values? Is it the the value proposition? You know, what is it that makes us great? What do we want people to take away? How do we get that out there? 
the creative aspect of it becomes how does how do we take that idea? What are the methodologies of getting it out there? What is visually how do we want to represent that? Is there uh, you know is there taglines like you were saying? Is there certain phrases we want to try to own and put out there? Uh, you've also got uh, sound. Uh, there's a huge thing about owning sounds. You know. Dun dun, the the Netflix thing, the Law and Order dun dun. I mean, they do a whole commercials, entire commercials about the dun dun sound. <laughs> like, so there are, there's even those things out there. Like, you can start to own a sound. The you've got mail, you know, back in the back in the days. Um, so it's it's building those pieces, and then you get into the media strategy or the the executional strategies. Now we know what we want to say to people. We know how we want to say it, how we want to present it. Where do we present it? Where's the best place to reach these people? So, and that could vary. You might have some brands that you're like, forget it. We're going full bore banner ads because your people are online searching for things all the time. I'm just making this up. You might have another brand that's like, you've got a young audience. Maybe they're Twitch streamers. Maybe they're this. You're reaching that. Let's go video content, YouTube TikTok here. Let's get the message where they are. Not going to speak to someone the same way. You know, uh, McDonald's isn't going to talk to consumer the same way that uh, like Saks Fifth Avenue was going to market to someone. You know, <laughs> might use similar mediums, but you're going to talk very differently. Uh, so it's understanding the where, the what, and the how kind of piece <laughs> of all that. So when you bring you bring up a fair point. So each brand has to have its own voice. Each um, brand's activation in the marketplace needs to reflect that brand voice and be authentic to itself. So how do you, how do you creatively push the boundaries of, of what, what, what is possible in a market while also staying on brand? How do you strike that balance? That's a fun one. I, I, cause it's, <laughs> it is, it is a balance. You can, I mean, cause there's always the like, we are this brand. This is how, how we do it. So we, we speak this way. Um, but there's always that ability to push. We've already mentioned Wendy's. Wendy's is, they've often been like, hey, have it have it Dave's way. That's how they used to do, which Burger King actually competed with uh, years ago. So it used to be, Wendy's tagline was, have it Dave's way. Because founder Dave Thomas out of Columbus had a way to make hamburger. And Burger King said, well, have it your way. Who cares what Dave wants? Put it on your thing. <laughs> so they took. I actually didn't know that. Yeah, that's, that's the have it your way was a com, a competitive alignment against Wendy's. Um, so they took that and and that probably honestly having that stance, the eighties, <laughs> uh, back in the eighties, um, probably started to skew their slow trend towards a very bizarre marketing journey that that burger king has taken over the years from the king who's was a very strange non-vocal advocate for the brand <laughs> things like that so it's taking those and sometimes it's baby steps like in that case where it's like let's go in direct competition with our people and let's do this that kind of worked what's something else we can do you know is the king and i don't know this i've not, I've not read about it was the king and an answer to ronald mcdonald like okay mcdonald has this giant clown what about uh king we have better burgers we're not being served by a clown you're being served by a king yeah <laughs> so, what's interesting though in these is that it feels like there's there's some pivoting that happens right so <laughs> you know uh, 
how, in, in your opinion, how, how do brands deal with that? Right. Like, you know, we've worked with, with a number of companies over the years and, and mm-hmm. in some cases, you know, you want to have a really tight buttoned up brand and brand standards and messaging and how we speak. And those are all great for consistency, mm-hmm. but they're not great for flexibility. Yep. Uh, the opposite can also be true, right? Mm-hmm. Lack of brand standards is an equal <laughs> but opposite hell. Yes. So how do you strike, how do you strike that balance? Uh, or where do you think that balance is? Yeah, it's, it's a great, great question, great point. And part, part of it I will start with, I hate the term brand standards. I like brand guides. And again, that's doing the power of words. Brand standards are, this is our standard. This is how you do it. A guide is this, like if you're going for a guy, uh, someone's taking you, a guide is taking you through the woods. They might not take you on the same path every time. They're going to show you some cool stuff that you see along the way. Check out these flowers. They weren't here last week. These are new. <laughs> and brand standards feels very rigid. And lots of times you'll see companies whose brand standards are like, like you said, very buttoned up. This is what our ads look like. This is what a PowerPoint template is. This, and you're like, cool. Why do you need us again? <laughs> your, your hands do feel tied. Whereas when you, when you change that mental thinking as an organization to, these are our brand guides. These are our colors. This is how we speak. This is the kind of things we do. This is an example of how an ad might look or how we would represent certain things. It starts to open that up. And, and the, the designer's job or the creative team's job is to find where is that push? Where can you say, this is still on brand? Because they can point to these four of these six bullet points or five of these six bullet points in your guides. And we've checked the boxes, but we went a little further here. We took a little shift this way or... Your brand guides have this green that you've never used before. It's a great pop of color. We want to work it in more. We're still on brand. (laughs) It's It's finding those. It's creative problem solving. It's really, at the end of the day, visual word, whatever, you're problem solving. So you've got this weird brief that's like, we want to create a cool campaign, but it has to be on brand. So it's finding like, okay. And some of it is evolving the brand too, because some brands do have to evolve over time. Um, some some brands don't. Coke, they tried it, didn't work. We talked about that earlier. <laughs> New Coke. But Coke sells hanging out with friends, good times. So, so that doesn't I have mean, you, to you bring shift. up a you, you bring up a good point with regard to the difference between brand standards and brand guidelines. I, I want to take it, take that, and take it maybe a layer deeper into audiences. <clears throat> How does having a, a, an understanding of an audience or having less of an understanding of an audience, whether it's personas or buyer journeys or both, influence creative, uh, positively or negatively? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, audience is key. Unless you are a brand new company with a brand new product that has never been on the market and you only have a loose understanding of maybe who might be interested, <laughs> you should still try to hone in on an audience. I was talking to someone the other day. It's like, you if you might have the perfect message, but if you go and shout it at a wall instead of taking a step over and open the window and shouting, it's going to reach different people. Shouting at the wall might reach your neighbor next door. Shouting through an open window will reach the street. Um, so knowing that audience can help hone that. Again, it, it also helps how do you push it? Like 
wow, we're seeing a new trend in your organization or your thing that and we've seen on B2B, purchasing is starting to happen at even a younger age than I thought would still be making it yet. It's starting to be those those early gen millennials, these like 30s somethings are starting to control a lot of the purchasing power. That is different than what you may have been, who you may have been speaking to five or 10 years ago. Those people were probably pushing 55, 60, the older range in there. There is a point now where, okay, things that might've resonated with that group aren't going to resonate with this younger thing. So it's time to evolve that. And knowing that can help you change that master strategy, that creative strategy of maybe what once was beneficial to one group, like, you know, more efficient, this thing, this group might be like connected to the cloud, workable from anywhere. Oh, check that box. (laughs) So it's all about the audience and understanding. Yeah. I mean, the trend that you just picked up on is a really interesting one, specifically in, I'm going to call it old school sales driven organizations, right? Mm-hmm. So lots of B2B organizations are, are kind of wired that way, or at least that's their, that's the fabric of how they've grown up. Yeah. And the, the buying cycle of how those, those transactions work and who you're, who you're, you're actually selling to is evolving and changing extremely quickly. And you see some brands that are recognizing that and taking advantage of it by investing in their digital footprint and their digital ecosystem, right? Mm-hmm. And I think the ones that that don't make that investment, specifically in the B2B space, are going to be the ones that are, are going to have a rude awakening because, mm-hmm. to your point, the, uh, the, the persona has changed. How, yeah. how they consume information has changed. And we've advised many B2B organizations over the years about you know, the, the influence that that trend needs to have in your overall strategic roadmap. Because the, the, the evolution of creating lots of content for that consumer is not, it's not fast. It's extremely slow. And it's, it's, yeah. it's got to be methodical. It's got to be, you know, your whole, your whole organization sort of has to pivot towards this idea of my relationship is with my sales rep to my relationship is with the entity, the brand. And then I'm going to contact my sales rep when I'm ready. So mm-hmm. 70% of that buyer journey is done without you. And so yeah. you better be relevant as and part that of that point, buyer like journey. A, a lot of people these days, uh, we, we've seen data and stuff that uh, this younger generation in the B2B space, they expect their B2B buying experience to be the same as any e-commerce experience they have. They want yes. to buy your $50,000 whatever the same way they go online and buy a pair of shoes. Like they- they want to yep. see the options. They want to have the customization options and then maybe click the button to talk to a salesperson to finalize that thing. It's, it's, it's a very different, it's a different world. <laughs> and, and you'll see that like, again, yeah. talk, talking trends, it's, it's how things change and it's the adaptability there. Um, the music industry, I will still throw under the bus for as long as I can. In the early days of Napster, MP3s, they had an opportunity to latch on to oh, they could have they could have jumped on that and embraced it, but they they chose not to. To, to I think fight it and the, fight you know, the growth. Yeah. Anybody that ever resists change and evolution and technology mm-hmm. always gets their lunch eaten. Like, yeah. It it happens every time. Like the the world will evolve with or without you, and it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Music industry. Perfect example, right? Napster came along. They could have done something with it. They had to wait. They finally got on board when Apple 
and streaming services mm -hmm. uh, came up with a, a product that was okay enough for them. But the writing was on the wall at that point. Like, yeah. you're, you're going to lose this battle. We're not purchasing CDs anymore. <laughs> I mean, and you see countless examples of that, right? So if you just think about three industries off the top of my head, one is, is what we've been talking about. The other is uh, movies, right? So Blockbuster owned the market. And then this little thing called Netflix came around, and all of a sudden there was a new trend they didn't adapt to. Well, and not only that, but movie studios, right? They that used to. How do you get a movie made, right? Mm -hmm. Big production studios mm -hmm. out out in Hollywood, they produce them, and then Netflix was like, "To hell with you guys! We'll just make yeah. our own." Okay. Yeah, and they've and they've created some of the best content. And then <laughs> Apple was like, "Hey, what are you guys doing over there?" And now they've got some of the greatest content that I've seen. Like, <laughs> I like what you guys are doing. Well, and and I, think, I think that the trend that we're talking about here as it relates to creative is almost a direct parallel, right? So the volume game in content, because that's what it is now, right? It's about yeah. volume of content. It's not about high production value of content, at least not as it relates to the internet. It, it translates no. to the authenticity that... that brands need to have and that consumers are expecting more and more it translates to uh the need to get something into market not the need for perfection of the thing that's going in market uh, i mean how many times have we have we advised clients along the way like look we need to get this thing in market so that we see how people react to it yep. uh, we got to push it and then and then make <laughs> I mean, revisions do you think to some it of that is go. like do you think some of that's like still lingering hangover for how creative used to work, right? Like, you know, yeah. when you, when you think about like a print piece, right, if we're going to mm -hmm. spend $3 million to print these things and distribute them, if there's a typo or a problem, right? Not to say the typos and things shouldn't are okay to exist. It's still bad. Mm -hmm. uh, but the magnitude of impact is a lot lower when, if you potentially have something that is, you know, not quite right, this is slightly the wrong shade or something, and it's up and it's up for a day, and you correct it, and you know, you move yeah. on with your life, I, right? I, I think you're right. Yeah, I, th I think that is that's largely what it is. Just advertising in general. Again, we, we talked about digital is still new. You know, <laughs> printable type has been around. Movable type has been around since Gutenberg's press, 1800s or whatever. You know, like it's been around a long time digital is still new and people still don't know how to how to, how to handle that and and people don't don't look at content the same way like you said we're going to put this we're going to design this as going to be in a magazine this magazine may literally live forever in an archive in a library whereas you know there used to be a, a web design competition called the the semi-permanent design competition because that's the internet man semi-permanent it's here until it's not Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, so th there is that thing where like and the interaction is just different it's like you know yeah. a, a 15 second or 30 second pre-roll ad that I see before a YouTube video it's gone like after after that point it's gone yeah it's funny because I, I actually I saw a pre-roll video the other day that I wanted to pull as an example to share with with some clients and, and you couldn't find it again. 
I've gotten Lizzo selling me all kinds of stuff through Instacart lately. I get that at it, but I can't. Yeah, that, that happens to me all the time. And then oh. I go down to, I like start going to stuff and just trying my best to trigger something. Like, please yes. show me this ad. I again. went, it was a Starbucks ad. It was a Starbucks ad. It was super low produced. It looked like just handmade content. It was a blind girl getting her pumpkin spice latte and just talking about her latte. That's all it was. I'm like, Starbucks is not a small brand and they just, pushed live on YouTube across how many views they got one of the most underproduced <laughs> spots, but still resonated. You know, I still remember what it was. Yep. I can tell you exactly what the commercial was. And I mean, yes, and then I, you know, I can't to, get the pop up again, but that's yeah. somebody messed back up to authenticity, <laughs> but back to authenticity and kind of mm-hmm. how we got down this rabbit hole, right? Those like lower budget productions and, you know, what have you, they feel more authentic. They resonate mm-hmm. more. If that was a, an overproduced, very clearly big budget production, mm-hmm. you'd probably go, eh. It, it would have just, felt pandering. Probably wouldn't have felt like, as great. Because yeah. I, th- I think, you know, to the, to the audience that that was maybe more geared towards the people that are, are, are blind, that might have felt that approach to commercial felt more authentic authentic there we go then if it had been this overproduced thing and it's like oh well yeah hey yep we're here thanks you know but that it felt natural felt human and resonates with people so if if volume is the new game or current game let's not call it new because it's not new if it's the current game that we need to play on the interwebs Mm -hmm. uh, how do you stay organized in the the massive amounts of creative that has to be produced on some regular basis. What, what are some, some best practices that, that either you've learned over your, over your career or you've, you've learned from others that uh, allow you to stay organized so you can remember that thing that was made, whatever, two years ago that we can reuse and repurpose because I think the biggest myth of the internet is that all content has to be new. It does not. Mm-hmm. It should not. We should repurpose yeah. all kinds of stuff. Um, for things, but I, and I think a lot of brands miss that point, and we we yeah. get to this de facto new what's new instead of what has performed and what can we repurpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, cross your fingers and pray. That's the best way to do it. You just hope that it you remember something years later. Now, uh, <laughs> the 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 best way, and while if you haven't done it to get started, is very tedious. It, cataloging it. Um, we've, we've done it for clients. We've done, uh, full content catalogs of their websites and 500 pages and 450 of them are blogs. And we go in like, okay, what's this one about tag? What's this one? (laughs) What is, is this a information article or a do thing article and tag stuff that way? And then you start to create a searchable database. Um, we use, we've used Airtable for that. Um, thank you to our sponsors, Airtable, for no, I wish we sponsored <laughs> this podcast. Um, uh, you know, anything that can help you organize that. A, a Google Sheet, you know, something that sortable, filterable. Um, it's really building that that catalog, and it's hard. I, I mean, I, I if there's one thing I will say: it's not easy. There's there's plenty of times, even mm-hmm. even internally, that I'm like, I know we've done that before. What's it? what's it called? <laughs> then you, you go through the Google yeah. drive bingo of, did it have the word <laughs> start typing? Whereas 
if you start cataloging those resources as you create them, like we have an infographic about B2B purchase behavior. Let's make a note of that so that next time we do a podcast about B2B, hey, we can link to that that thing, you know? Um, cataloging is the best way. It's it's manual. I wish there was like some cool fancy way these days to, I'm sure at some point someone will make the AI that will be able to crawl the article, pull out some tag things and automatically catalog it for you. But at least for a couple more weeks, that's how AI is growing. You still have to do it by hand. <laughs> How do you how do you stay creative with the the quantity over quality sort of thing, right? It's one thing to have lots of things to organize, and, but you know, I was, I was watching something the other day from a uh, a content creator, and he was talking about the the idea that you know a lot of people think that content creators like their job is easy, right? All you do is just record videos and publish them online and that's no big deal. Right. And that's like taking it to the extreme. You know, most companies are not producing that level of, of quantity. And it's like, it's excruciatingly hard. Mm -hmm. Uh, How do you, as a creative, how do you, how do you stay, you know, inspired and uh, keep coming up with new ideas when, you know, it's very clear that like the, 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 need for higher amplitude of uh, like higher frequency is a a big thing right now. Yeah. Um, creative, creative drought is real. (laughs) It's like, uh, yeah, I could not imagine some of these content creators that are are just pumping out videos the way they are. I cannot imagine what their, their life is, is like, cause like you said, it's, it is not easy to produce that volume of stuff, especially a lot of these creators that are like, it's that person and some have grown to have a small team that support, but it is hard. So some of that is, is, you know, how do you keep, how, how do you fill the well um, when, when it feels like it's running dry, you know, creative, I feel like a lot of people think you go, like you were saying, Oh, you just make videos and shoot it. Creative is like, Oh, you just went and pushed the creative button and Photoshop made a thing for you. <laughs> like, no, it, I wish um that that was the case but there's a lot there and and i have actually i've talked to my my team i was actually talking to someone today about like what what they do and a, a lot of it is uh sometimes it's getting out of your head like if you spend day in day out especially if you're like in an in-house brand like an in-house team you are thinking about that brand all day every day mm-hmm. you're going to hit a wall so stepping outside of that um, everyone on the team says, get outside, go in nature, just completely detox, take a nap. I literally took one over on that teddy bear uh, about 30 minutes before this phone call to make sure I had my creative juices flowing. Um, <laughs> no why? Um, others, is, it's also looking elsewhere. So, you know, some of our designers, uh, they, they create artists, which is a very different creative outlet than designing or creating stuff like that. Uh, one of them loves to cook, um, a very different creative outlet. Um, I, I draw sometimes I, I, I like to, I and other people on the team like to look elsewhere. Um, I, I read a lot of uh, graphic novels with my kids and there's just, sometimes it's saying things, maybe it's colors, maybe it's, there's a phrase and you're like, Hmm, 
I like that word. That word resonates. That's going to work somewhere, you know. Um, and it's seeking that creative uh, elsewhere, you know. Digital is digital. There's video. There's elements of old school print. There's so much at play there that you can really look anywhere. Video games. Um, I love video game interface design. I think that's a whole different different breed of, <laughs> of stuff, especially as you got into like console games. Uh, you know, your old school, your, your PC games, you got buttons on a keyboard, you got a mouse and stuff. But when they started putting very complex games and you just had a controller, how many menus and does it feel organic and flow and stuff like so anything like that can spark an idea. Um, I was talking the other day. I used to draw all the time and I took a year where I didn't draw anything. And I stopped and I just looked. I just absorbed <laughs> the world around me and would be like, that tree's not a tree. That tree is five circles, two triangles, and a rectangle. If you piece it together, it's a tree. And started breaking things down. And, and doing those kinds of things help. And again, finding that different creative expression. Um, I've got someone that builds Legos. I try to, but my kids step in and ruin it <laughs> for me. <laughs> Makes it a little difficult. <laughs> like, here, Dad, let me help. No, no, no. Um, but yeah, there's, so you there's have just, to have a separate decoy Lego set that they can help with. <laughs> there's, here's the one that I'm so working you can, on. You work on these pieces. Yeah. <laughs> when Julia came over a while back and she wanted to play with Legos, I took one of them. It's actually that one. Yeah. I took it <laughs> slightly apart because it was a very simple Lego. Like I built it in 10 minutes. So I took, nice. took like half of it apart and gave her that. I was like, you can yeah. play with this one. Not the Iron Man one. Not that one. <laughs> was yes. not completed at the time, but would have uh -huh. been a nightmare. That would have been bad, for sure. Um, but yeah, so really there's any number of ways to, to recharge. I, I, I talked to, to Lex this morning. She was one of the ones I, I, I poked, one of the designers on our team, as you guys know, but the people listening don't know. Um, and I was like, so how, what, what are ways that you like to recharge or this kind of thing? And she, she sent me a quote from the anime Kiki's delivery service that was stop trying, take long walks, look at the scenery, doze off at noon, don't even think about flying, and then pretty soon you'll be flying again. And that's kind of it. like when you hit that thing and you're just like, I got an idea, I need an idea. Stop. It's not going to come. It's like watch pot never boils when you're sitting there like idea, 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 idea. Not going to happen. You know, just like step away. Mm -hmm. Just walk away. Go to yoga. But I think it's an interesting <laughs> thing for a lot of people to realize. Even, you know, we, we deal with this sometimes even with just interacting with creatives. It can be... If you don't understand that aspect, it can be frustrating. And that I would argue that that extends to other areas of business, oh. right? You know, I, when if I need to think about something important or if there's a big problem that needs to be solved, I'm probably not going to just sit down and put pen to paper. Mm -hmm. There's there's a lot of thinking time, exploration. I need to chew on it a little bit to be able to come up with the best uh, the best solution. So, you know, a lot of times I think in, in creative, uh, especially when it gets down to, to things like how long is something going to take, you know, it's real easy to look at like, well, how long is it going to take to push the pixels around the screen? Not very long. Like <laughs> once you got the idea, it's not a big deal. But you know, when you think about, um, it's like one of the, there's a famous quote that I would butcher if I try it, but one of the, you know, famous sculptors of, of time, like he was, he used to 
come in and just stare at a block of marble for mm-hmm. out for days, weeks, and like then carves you know one of the greatest sculptures of all time that yeah. I, I probably don't appreciate as much as other people. But I think, that's <laughs> I think that was Michelangelo that actually would do that. He saw the sculpture that's, inside that's awesome. the stone. Yeah. Um, yeah. So like the the act of carving it, that's not the hard part, right? Figuring out what you're gonna do, exactly how to do it, like that's the hard part. And I yeah. think I feel like that exists in in creative a bit too, right? Cool. Like yeah, that's the. I mean, creative. that's that's the big thing that that people don't get. Like, that's if there's one thing that I like about remote work, there's lots of things I like about remote work. But one thing is like, as a creative, it's it can feel hard being in an office because one, you got people walking by. Are you being creative? Like. Maybe, but sometimes are you like, creativing right now? Are you creativing? <laughs> yeah, but sometimes <laughs> I'm just sitting there, laying in my chair, eyes closed, looking up. Might look like I'm napping. I promise I'm not. Well, I might have been, but mostly, you, you know, you you're working through things, and some. And I feel like it's, you know, it's, it's not limited to just creatives. I I think, uh, like I said, there's creativity in anything. I don't care how if you're left brain or not. I mean, I've worked with developers before that are right brain coders. That's I used to do front end stuff myself, and my my approach to code was a right brain thing. Like you can do if thens, right? Well, what if what if your if then to this is that a thing? Can you do a thing? <laughs> you try it, and it's 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 still that like how long does it take to code a page in HTML? Oh well, the physical part is this time. But they're still thinking through, okay, well, what else here? Can I do this a simpler? You know, there's still those pieces of it. And, and yeah, it, it's an interesting thing of like the the mental time versus the action time. And, and people want mm-hmm. to see the action. It's like, that's why I feel bad. I, I follow a bunch of artists on like Instagram and you see them these days. They're like, I hate creating content because to keep up with the algorithm, you got to make, you got to make. It's like art's not like that i can't just volume like i'm drawing all day every day and making things you know it's it's a different it's a different world it's a different of, animal. In that regard. yeah mm-hmm. that's the that's the scary thing with if your passion is art right mm-hmm. i i would actually argue for most people like don't make it your career because you absolutely ruin it yeah yeah uh, i mean that's i would tell if you love if you love painting don't be a painter Maybe paint a house, no. oh, a right. different kind of thing. But <laughs> sure, but you know, it, it, it's it is interesting because, like, I know from you know the technical side of things, like dev side of things, I see that all the time. We've we've all had every every developer who's been doing things long enough has accidentally deleted some shit that they wrote, right? Only to turn around and rewrite that in a tenth of the time it took it took to do it in the first place Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. because the the value the time the the everything is not in writing the code it's in the problem solving and the thought process and the creative thinking that goes into that and i think that exists in you know all facets whether whether the end piece is a banner ad or a website or a, a script that runs that does a bunch of cool stuff that nobody ever sees like it's all creative it's all problem solving mm-hmm. uh and it's all incredibly difficult things to solve that you then just turn into an output 
Yeah. I mean, some of the most creative writing I've ever done is in response to a client RFP, right? They're asking <laughs> questions that you may not normally answer. And you're like, oh, <laughs> yeah. I got to think no, through that's this. That's a good question. Yeah. Gotta, nobody's ever asked that we, before. I know right. we do it, but how would I say that we've done <laughs> Like, yeah, it's, yeah. it's how, how would I write that into a, a paragraph that someone else can understand when I know how it works, yeah. right? But <laughs> we've I've got to for die, 10 years. You know, write this in a way that's <laughs> right. Yeah, we've been doing it for 10 years. These people don't know me. I have to sum it up in four sentences. Okay, let's go. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, how do we get to number one on, on Google? You tell me and. And <laughs> how much time you got? <laughs> it's a long road. No, That's how you I do think it. the <laughs> so one of the big takeaways here is that you can be creative anywhere. I think that mm-hmm. that should be intuitive to most people, but in in our space, creative is a department, right? So right. I think it's interesting to think about applying principles from the creative department into everyday creative activities, whether you're in account management or whether you're a marketing manager or whatever, you, you too suffer from writer's block or designer's block, right? Absolutely. You're sitting there trying to trying to put words into a deck that is due tomorrow and it's just not coming. Yeah. A good piece of creative advice, walk away. Walk Take away. a nap, go explore some nature. Get fresh. Do something, get those creative juices flowing. Yeah. You know, the other thing that I would, I would throw in there is... You know, be willing to throw away your work. Mm, right? That's a big one. <laughs> I, I think it's really easy to become attached to an idea or mm-hmm. or or whatever, uh, and just keep hammering down that path. And and actually, what just made me think of it is my my tattoo. This one, <laughs> this one, uh, because that's exactly what my tattoo artist did. We had an idea for that Iron Man piece. And that was the the path we were going down and whatever. And when I showed up to get the piece done, he showed me that and he was like, I, you know, I've made this, but like, I really don't like it. So I made this other one, uh, which is the one that I have. It is totally different, completely different. And I was like, yeah, you're right. That other one sucks. This one, this one's way better. Let's do that. And that, and you know, that's something that I don't think you see often. Uh, but I think just being, being willing to like, just throw everything out and, it's, and start, if it's not working, just throw it out and start over. And, and it's tough to identify. And I, I would say that like that it, in, in the, in the world of advertising and stuff, creative teams are probably more senior creative teams are probably more able to do that because you've been around a while and you're like, cause there are times I mean, myself, I'm like, this, this is an idea. There's something here. And you go and you go and you go and you're like, shit, there isn't. <laughs> I spent there five days here. on this. There's nothing <laughs> here at the end of this. Time to go back, you know. And, and for, for people, that's really hard because you're like, you know, I, I creatives, a very early thing you learn in your career is to just let go of pride of ownership. Because the first time you present something that you think is awesome to a client and they start nitpicking, you're like, well cool did i make the right career choice <laughs> once mm-hmm. you've decided that then you're like okay that's their opinion i don't agree but we're going to get on with this you know and that is a hard thing to let go of no matter what you're doing it's like oh, i've worked so hard on this why does why is it still bad <laughs> sometimes it is and you just gotta like this wasn't the right approach push it aside start fresh like i said go out step away 
because I've done it before. I'm sure you guys have where you're like, maybe it is working on a client deck or a pitch and you're writing something. You're like, God, this just, there's, there's no way. And you step aside and you come back and you're like, this is terrible. And it's, it's why like whenever I'm, I'm, you know, giving people timelines for, for creative projects, it's like, it's three hours, but we need four days. And they're like, what? Like, cause you need two hours to do it, a day to step away and an hour to come back and realize if it's complete and utter crap <laughs> and start over or be like, no, I was right. This is good. Let me yeah. put some finishing touches on here. You know, there is that like fresh eyes <laughs> really go a long way. I mean, Mark has definitely seen me throw away some shit over the years. Yeah. So in the in the early <laughs> stages of of Oodle, Ryan was doing a lot of design work. And I still remember to this day, he got to a place where he finished the design for a website and he showed it to us. And we were all like, Yeah, it's all right. And I think he read through the he, you know, he read the tea leaves and he went home that night, threw it all away, started over and came back with a completely different design. And that's the one we went with. In that case, I actually deleted everything. Like, oh, yeah, you physically deleted the it. Files. It was gone. <laughs> yeah. like, it, there was no possibility of going with that one. And sometimes there's also <laughs> there may, like, may not have been uh, suburban involved in that one. <laughs> uh, hey, That's sometimes that leads to good solutions. I have also before, when I had my agency, we were down in a, 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 a bar district and I was struggling to, like I couldn't get past something. I was like, get it. Let's go to the bar. One drink in, I'm like, give me a napkin. Give me a pen. I got it. And (laughs) (laughs) there it was. And sometimes you've also got to get the bad ideas out too. Because anytime I'm like, Mm -hmm. someone wants a brand, wants a logo. I'm like, cool. Okay. Oh, and it's two words. I have a default in my brain that always like, oh, it's two words. Do this. So I'm like, I just go ahead and go in Illustrator and do that so I can move along. (laughs) Like, I know this is an option I'm going to put out through this dumb, but I have to get that out of my head so I can get to other ideas. (laughs) Well, I mean, you, you mentioned earlier that uh, creative creative people or anyone that's producing anything, I guess, need to get rid of that pride of authorship thing. I think part of that is also asking for feedback, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I've, I've advised many people earlier in their career, like, hey, you, you, just, you just burn the candle at both ends on this thing that I could have given you the answer of exactly what you needed to do with this because I've already lived it. I've experienced it. I have a different perspective than you do. Mm -hmm. So asking for feedback from people that may know more or they may be able to provide you a different direction or something else is incredibly important to the creative process. Oh yeah. I mean, it's in, in that case, it it can sometimes be things that you might not inherently know. Right. I've Mm -hmm. had that before when, when folks with our brand even have used, you know, uh, some heavy-handed purple or some heavy-handed orange, right? Mark, you hate purple, and I hate orange. So <laughs> if unless there's a real compelling reason, you're probably going to get a little bit of pushback just from the fact that it's it's my brand. Right. Yeah, and some of that is, like you said, like there is, we talked about like working an idea, and like, I know there's something there, I know there's something there, and then you get to the end, you know, like, well, oh, shit, there wasn't. If you ask for that feedback early, you can stop that path <laughs> or, or get someone that's like, you're right, but you're going this way. You're going a little bit this way. Skew it that way and mm-hmm. course correct way earlier and get to something faster. And that's a hard thing too because a lot of it is that it, – it, it, I still think it comes down to that pride of ownership or authorship of like 
but I'm creating this. I'm making this thing. I, I want to make sure it's right. And you're like, man, it's a team. We're just trying to get it. We're trying to make something cool together. Like that's, that's the other thing that's different. I think from some industries, you know, like, uh, one of, one of our team loves comics. I love comics. I think several people on our team do. It's not one person who does all that. There's the penciler. There's an anchor. There's a colorist. There's a letterer. There's a, the, there's a writer, you know, all making a really cool piece of work when it's all said and done. And, and that's really how advertising is. It's not one person pushing it across there. You know, there's famous designers and stuff you heard, but you don't hear about, I'm sure a lot of their, their people that maybe actually did a lot of the work and they just did the creative directing. on. <laughs> but like, it's still there. And like having that, that, that ability to like, Oh, I'm struggling. What do you think? It's a terrible. Stop. Or, you're right. There's something forming here. Why don't you go this way with it? And just being able to course correct is, is a huge part of that creative process. Well, if you've made it this far in, in your listening journey, you're either super into creative or you really like Josh, but thanks for hanging out with us. If you want to send us questions or topics that you want us to talk through next time, you can send your questions to questions at oodle.io and follow us at oodles of marketing. Thanks for listening.